Our scripture for today comes from John 10, verses 40 through 42. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Short and sweet this morning. Two weeks ago, we did, what, 40-something verses. And this week, we get to do three. Um, and there's a good reason for doing that, because this, this passage is kind of a unit in and of itself, and it's, um, John puts it in there to make a specific point, and that point's actually very different from what we've been hearing the last few weeks and the last few chapters. And you know, as I, as I was reading through the, the verse this morning, or throughout the week, um, I was reminded of a story of this missionary. His name's uh, William Leslie. I, I, I would guess probably none of you have ever heard of him. I had never heard of him. I came across this story in a really obscure article somewhere. And he, uh, he lived in the 1800s. And he was pursuing a degree in pharmacy. He, he thought his, kind of his life mission was to be in the medical field. And uh, he wasn't a believer, but in the midst of that process, um, he saw Jesus Christ as his Savior. He believed in him, became a Christian, and uh, gave his life to Christ in, 19, or in 1888, not 19, 1888. And eventually, as he kind of lived out his faith, God kind of laid this missionary calling on his life, and he... He knew he, God was calling him to be a missionary, and then he knew he had these gifts in the medical field, and so he went into medical missions. And he served in, in various places, but he eventually landed in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and he served in the city of Vanga for 17 years, right? So it was a really long time he served there. Um, and yet after 17 years, some tensions arose between him and some of the tribal leaders, and they kicked him out of the city. And they told him, don't, don't ever come back here again. And so he served there for 17 years, and he ended up leaving completely discouraged. He left, he thought he'd made zero impact. Um, I'm sure he wondered, why did God even call me here in the first place for me to just get kicked out and told never to come back again, right? And I'm sure he left wondering if he had just wasted 17 years of his life, right? And, you know, stories like that always kind of, and, and actually he died nine years later. And uh, stories like that kind of make us wonder, okay, was his ministry a failure? And how do we know if his ministry was a failure, right? And, you know, we, we find ourselves asking ourselves that question, I think, more often than we realize, especially as we go through the Gospel of John, because I've mentioned before, the Gospel of John, one of the main themes of the Gospel of John is this idea of witness. And so as we go through, we're repeatedly being challenged, encouraged to be a witness in the world, because that's what John is doing. And so... We know that that's the case, right? We're called to go out into the community. We're to witness. We're to point people to Jesus. We're to tell people who Jesus is, tell them what he's done. And yet, that's easier said than done, right? And, and there's times where, 
it gets really frustrating because we feel like, okay, I'm out witnessing. I'm pointing people to Jesus, and yet I just keep, it feels like sometimes I'm just beating my head against a wall because I'm just seeing nothing. Um, and all I'm running into is hard heart after hard heart after hard heart, right? And, and eventually we sometimes just throw our hands up in the air and go, what's the point? And I think it should give us some level of, of consolation to realize that Jesus was received in a similar way, right? That's kind of been the last, I don't know how many weeks of sermons where we just see Jesus explaining to the people, here's who I am. Here's, who I, here's what I came to do. And they reject it. And then to, on top of it, they kind of ramp things up. They reject him and then they try to kill him. Right? And it just keeps happening over and over. And it doesn't seem like Jesus himself is actually getting any traction speaking, teaching these people. He just keeps hitting hard heart after hard heart after hard heart. And then we get to this passage and we read this. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And you know, on the one hand, you can read that and think, okay, Jesus is just like taking off and running away from the conflict, right? He's, he's tired of people trying to kill him, and so he's like, I'm heading out of here. And, and in a way, he is doing that, because as John says repeatedly, it's not yet his time, right? And so they keep trying to kill him, and it's not his time to die yet. And so Jesus gets out of Dodge. He gets away from the conflict. But, but there's way more than that going on here. Jesus isn't just running away from the conflict. Um, John's making a point by telling us this story, and Jesus is making a point by leaving and heading out there. Because remember where Jesus has been for the last three, four chapters of John. He's been in Jerusalem, which is kind of the center of Jewish activity, and he's been in the temple for most of it, which is the center of the center of Jewish activity. And now, he takes off and he goes away. And and what we've seen for the last few chapters is something that John told us we would see way at the beginning. In John chapter 1, he said this about Jesus. Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And that's been the point that John's been making and Jesus has been making. He's been in Jerusalem. He's been in the temple. He's been coming to his own over and over and over again. And they continued to refuse to receive him. And so he leaves. And he goes across the Jordan, which is pretty significant, right? Because... You go across the Jordan, where are you going? You're going outside of the promised land in a lot of ways. Now, he's probably, I don't, if you guys remember the story when they're coming into the promised land, there were two tribes, and now I'm losing their, I think it's Gad and Manasseh, that said, actually, we like it here on this side of the Jordan. Can we have our land over here? We don't want the promised land. We're going to be here. So I think Jesus is going to a different people of Israel. But the point is, he's going somewhere outside of the promised land. He's going somewhere outside, away from the center of Jewish life. He's going away from all those who kept rejecting him and wouldn't receive him. And he's going to this place where John the Baptist had been doing ministry for a while. And John the Baptist said it was kind of a place of the, the wilderness, kind of on the outside. And, and I want to make sure, because there, there's, 
a lot of things going on here, and I've heard a lot of sermons over the years that have, have looked at this passage in particular and said, well, Jesus left the center of religious activity and went to the margins of society, and that's where he always ministered, was on the margins and to the marginalized, which is true, but he didn't always minister there, right? So Jesus did spend a lot of time ministering to the blind and the beggars and the prostitutes, right, on the margins, but... But I don't want to, it's important for us not to overemphasize that or overplay that because where has Jesus been doing ministry for the last like three or four chapters of John? Right in the center of all the places of power and influence and authority, right? So Jesus ministered in both places. And I think it's important for us to know that. He didn't avoid the marginalized. He intentionally went to the marginalized, but he also intentionally went to the powerful and, and the authority and spoke to them as well. Um, but again, what John's showing here is a stark contrast, not between powerful and the marginalized, but between those who are Jesus' own, who refused to believe in him, who refused to receive him, and these people out in the wilderness, where when Jesus goes out into the wilderness, what do you see? Many people coming to him. And, and John likes to write with kind of irony and in contrast, there's a lot of figurative stuff. And so this is just my opinion, so you can take it or leave it. But, but I think John's kind of intentionally playing on what we just read about. Remember the last story from last week? Jesus is in the temple, and we see a picture of all of the Jewish leaders coming to him. And they kind of like surround him and kind of pounce on him because they want to trap him, right? And they're saying, like, tell us who you are, because they want to arrest him and they want to kill him. And now we see Jesus leaves there. He goes out into the wilderness. Now he has people coming to him, but they're not coming to him trying to trap him, trying to convict him, but they're coming to him because they want to hear him. They want to see him. They, they know who he is. They're, they're attracted to him. And, and I just I want to pause. I always like to pause when, when that kind of stuff shows up in a gospel because it's important for us not to miss the fact that just Jesus, who he is, is was attractive to these people. That, I mean, he was so attractive to these people that, that they like went out into the desert and followed him out there. And not everyone's attracted to Jesus, right? We just saw a whole bunch of people who were trying to kill him, right? They hated him. They killed him. But for some people, they see Jesus, just who he is, and they... We want to follow him. We want to hear from him. And I make the point, because one of the temptations I see happen all the time is I I see people thinking, in order for people to follow Jesus, I have to make him look attractive. (laughs) Right? I have to become his, his PR person. I have to become his hype man. I have to become the marketing guru for Jesus. And I have to kind of show him to everybody so that they see him and so that they like him. And it's all on me to make him look good. And the reality is what I often see happen is we end up taking Jesus and we turn him into somebody else, trying to make him look good to the world. When it's important for us to realize that just Jesus who he is, what he's done, is attractive. And it's not our job to market him, and it's not our job to hype him up, and it's not our job to kind of paint a new image of Jesus. Our job is just to keep saying, here's who he is. Here's what he did. 
And uh, just keep doing that because he is attractive and some people will find him attractive. And, and, and what we find is that that's what John the Baptist did. And, and so this is, I think this is the last time we hear about John the Baptist in the Gospel of John. But it's intentional that we read that Jesus went to this place where John had been baptizing at first. Right, and so, and we know one of the key aspects of John, because John, of John the Baptist, because John the Gospel writer told us at the beginning that John's role was to do what? To be a witness. John chapter one it says he will bear witness about the light. So Jesus going to this place where John the Baptist had been witnessing about Jesus, and here's what the people say when they see Jesus: they say. So John, the Baptist, did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And I kind of love that line because it, it seems to me like a little bit of a backhanded compliment. Have you ever heard? You should, maybe some of them are inappropriate, but if you ever go online and look for a like, list of backhanded compliments, it's, it's fairly funny. Like somebody will come up to you and say, man, you're not as dumb as you look, <laughs> Right? And so it's kind of, and you're like, wait, should I take that as a compliment or not? I'm not sure what, how to take that, right? And, and that's kind of what they're doing with John here. They're saying, well, this guy didn't do anything flashy. It's not like he did any signs or miracles or power. He just, he, there's nothing special about the guy, but, but everything he said was true. And, and I think, again, that kind of, points to this thing that I was talking about, that, that John's witness wasn't flashy, it wasn't showy, it wasn't filled with signs and wonders and miracles or anything like that. It was just him faithfully saying, here's who Jesus is, and here's what he's going to do. Here's what he came to do. That was John's witness. And and I thought it would be helpful for us because it's been a long time since we were in John chapters 1 and 2 where we saw John's witness. Kind of flash back and remember some of the things that John the Baptist said about Jesus. And you know, the very first thing he said about Jesus is, hey, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And one of the things that John the Baptist said over and over in his witness was, um, I'm nothing, um, but Jesus is something. And, and he's worthy, he's more powerful. I'm not even worthy to, to tie his sandal. And one of the kind of last words we hear directly from John's mouth is, you know, he must increase, but I must decrease because Jesus is way more glorious um, than him. And so, again, it's that idea. He's pointing away from himself, pointing people to Jesus and talking about his glory. And eventually he explains why all of that's true. He says, one of these statements that, that we remember all the time, he sees Jesus pass by and he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? And again, he says, behold, the Lamb of God the next time he sees Jesus. And, and he's pointing people saying, that's who he is. This is what he came to do. He is not like any of the other lambs that have died throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia. He's the Lamb of God. He will die once for the forgiveness of our sins. And John says, that's why 
I'm not worthy to tie his sandal. That's why he must increase and I must decrease because he's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. He also said this. John bore witness. Again, we're seeing that. He said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said this to me. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen, I've borne witness, that this is the Son of God. He says two things here. He says, I saw the Holy Spirit fall on him and remain on him, meaning this is a man who's completely full of the Spirit. He does all of his ministry and walk with the Spirit powered by the Spirit, but also he says what? He's not just the Lamb of God, but he's the he's a Son of God. Right? So he keeps pointing. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what he will do. John says this about himself, but it kind of tells us a little bit about who Jesus is as well, right? Because John comes on the scene and people are asking, John, who are you? Like, Who are you? We're trying to figure out who you are. And John says this about himself. I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And John does a couple things there, right? He tells them a little bit about himself, but he's saying, hey, I'm making the way for someone, and this Jesus that I'm making the way for, he's, he's the Lord. He's not just a son of God. He's not just a lamb of God. He's also the Lord. And then he says that his job is to do what? To make straight the way, right? To him, to, to pave a path, a clear path. That's his job, to pave a clear path so that people would see Jesus for who he is and, and what he's done. Or to use a different analogy, is his job was to plant seeds so that people would believe in Jesus. And what's powerful is that, you know, this is that chapter 1, and now we're at the end of chapter 10, and we see all of the work of John coming to fruition because we see them say, you know what, everything John said about this man was true, and then many believed in Jesus there, right? You could say that all of the seeds that John planted about this man were true, and now that we see him in front of us, we know he's who John said he was. And it's this beautiful example of us being able to see John's witness that wasn't flashy, it wasn't showy, it wasn't, you know, full of signs and wonders, but it was just faithful. And then, you know, nine chapters later, bears fruit. John's dead by the time this happens. We don't know the the time gap for sure between when John initially witnessed there and when Jesus came, but we know that John accomplished his mission. John was sent to pave a path to Jesus in the wilderness, and now Jesus is in the wilderness, and people are walking on that path to Jesus. And they say, everything John said was true, and we believe that everything he said was true. And, and don't miss the word that John, he put, John the Gospel writer puts in there twice. He puts the word many in there twice. Many people came, and many people believed. And it's obvious, but he's saying that because he wants you to know that it wasn't just a few, but there were many. 
It wasn't just a couple people trickling to Jesus in the wilderness, that there were people walking down this highway that John had paved in the wilderness to Jesus and believing. And again, this is kind of that second part of what John told us would happen at the beginning, right? So we already looked at this, that Jesus came to his own and his own people didn't receive him, right? That's in Jerusalem. Now Jesus crosses the Jordan, goes out into the wilderness, and John says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born of not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And we're given this clear picture that there's this, there are those who will see Jesus and reject him. Even his own people. But there are other people who will see Jesus and they will receive him. And they'll believe in him. And Jesus says, and then they'll become children of God who are born of God. And, you know, for us, as, as we kind of go out into the world and, and bear witness, it's hard because we don't know who's who. Uh, which, who are going to hear and reject, or those who are going to hear and, and believe. And uh, in all honesty, we'll actually never know who's who. Because there may be some that we think would never believe, and then all of a sudden God does a work and they they believe. And, and another way I've said this over the years that has kind of been helpful for me to understand anyways is we don't also don't know what season we're in as we're going out and witnessing. You know, as farmers know, you have seasons of tilling and planting, but then there are seasons of harvesting what was planted. And, and we don't know what season we're in right now in, in history. If we're in a season where we're going to reap a harvest, or whether we're in a season where we're going to till and plant and water and fertilize and till and plant and never see any growth. And maybe our job is just to keep planting and what they said. When we got in there, we found a network of reproducing churches throughout the jungle. Each village had its own gospel choir, although they wouldn't call it that, they wrote their own songs, and they would have sing-offs from village to village, right? So they, they get there 130 years later, and there are churches that are planting churches, right? Like for most people, that's the definition of a healthy church, right? They have churches there that are healthier than most of the churches throughout the United States, right? Uh, they said they got into one of the villages. They found a cathedral that seated 1,000 people. And so they started asking around, like, how did all this come about? And they said, oh, Dr. Leslie, because of his ministry. That's how all of this happened. But Leslie saw zero of it. I mean, he died probably thinking he was a failure. But he went there and for 17 years was faithful and just kept pointing them to Christ. Here's who he is. Here's what he did. And he kept doing it over and over and over again. And God gave the growth. And he didn't even get to see it. And that's okay. And, you know, the Apostle Paul reminds us that that happens, right? He said, even of his own ministry, Paul said, Hey, I planted, and Apollos watered, 
But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything. It's only a God who gives the growth, right? And it's a really good reminder for all of us in the midst of learning how to witness and, and sharing the gospel out there. Paul says, in reality, we're nothing in the process. He said, neither who plants or who waters is anything. We're, we're nothing. God's the one doing the work. God's the one bringing the growth. Our job is to plant. Our job is to water and, and do that in hope and in faith that God's going to do the work eventually. God will bring about growth. And we may never actually see the harvest, which is hard for us because we want to you know, reap the benefit of our rewards. I should say we may never see the harvest in this life. I think we'll see it eventually um, from, with, from a different point of view. When God said, I guarantee you, God told Dr. Leslie, well done, good and faithful servant. And he said, why? I got kicked out and told never to come back. He said, just look. (laughs) And he got to see it. But in this life, we may never see it. We may plant and plant and plant and plant and plant and never reap a reward. And that doesn't mean we change the picture of Jesus. It doesn't mean we try to make everything showy and flashy and try to be his. No, we just faithfully keep saying, here's who Jesus is. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Lamb of God who took away my sin. He can take away your sin. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He lived and died and rose again so that we could be saved. And we say that over and over and over again. And some are going to hear that message and go, you're a fool. Maybe. And some are going to hear that message and go, that's really good. I believe. And they're going to follow him. It's not our job to decide who's going to do which. Our job is to plant, 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 plant. Share the gospel, water, and trust God. And, you know, it's a reminder for all of us. It's, you know, Paul says in Romans, he says, it's from faith to faith in Romans 1. And some translations say it's faith beginning to end, right? It's faith when we look to Jesus and we say, you know what, Jesus? I believe you're the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I believe that. I not only know it, but I have a wholehearted trust that you've taken away my sin. But then it's faith every step of the way after that as, as we live our lives. And, and it's faith as we go out and we share the gospel, knowing that we may never see the fruit of our harvest. We may not even see any growth. But by faith we keep doing it, knowing that God will eventually provide the growth. And we don't know. And I, I, I don't know what season we're in, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what season we're in Let's just bring it right down to Beaver Dam. Are we in a season of planting? Or are we in a season of harvest? I don't know. We could. All of a sudden, God could say it's time to harvest, and and we start seeing people come to Christ. And if that happens, guess what? It's because there's been people who've been planting (laughs) for decades and centuries before us. And we're just reaping their their harvest. But it could be we're in a season where our job is just to keep tilling the soil and to keep planting seed after seed after seed. And yet we don't plant 
Uh, it's one of those things. We don't plant as those who have no hope. Even if we don't see the growth, even if we don't see the fruit, we don't plant as those who have no hope because we know that God's the one who gives the growth, right? And, and one of the things we've heard the last few chapters is that Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. They hear it and they follow me. And just keep saying, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. He's the Lamb of God who can take away your sin. Will you believe? And if you believe, you can become a child of God, born of God. Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence thankful that we can live, we can live and witness and hope, um, knowing that you're our God, knowing that you're watching over us, giving us what we need both in the past, in the present, and into the future. And Father, we, we come to you and we confess because we're often impatient people. We're often those who want our rewards now. We want a harvest now. We want to see the fruit of our labor now. And it's all because we don't fully trust you. So, Father, we ask your forgiveness. We ask that you would forgive us for our lack of faith. We ask you to forgive us for our impatience. ask you to forgive us for our self-reliance. And not only just forgive us, Father, but again, fill us anew with your Spirit so we would leave from here living from faith to faith, understanding that we are saved by grace through faith, leave from here that every step we take is by faith, and then go out into the community sharing the gospel by faith, trusting that if it's a season of planting where we won't see any growth, that you will do the work in your timing for your glory, and also trusting that if we see a harvest, that it's because of your work and for your glory. So Father, help us to leave from here trusting in you by faith and pointing people to your son by faith. All God's people said, amen.